الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فقل لعبادي يقول التي هي احسن وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من يضمن لي ما بين جنبيه وما بين لحيه ازمن له الجنه او كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم most respected students of deen mothers and sisters in this short life that allah taala has given us it is a very short life even those who lived previously with lives that were 10 times the lives of people of this zamana of this age and era of this ummah previously people used to live to 500 years 600 years 800 years hazrat nuh alaihi salatu wasalam lived for over 1000 years so they had very long lifespans but even that long lifespan can we imagine a lifespan of 500 years 700 years nuh alaihi salatu wasalam's da'wat alone was the period of nubuwwat was 950 years so can we imagine that life we get bored we say in a few minutes and they had that life span what did they do with that life yet that life also is very very short Perhaps it was Hazrat Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam that he was asked that this entire life that you live, lived how did it feel so he says that it was like there are two doors to a house a person entered from one door small little house and then he left through the other door that's how it felt and we have life spans nowadays the ummah on a general note nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam says a'maru ummati ma bayna 60 wa 70 aw kama qala an-nabiy sallallahu alaihi wasallam that the average age of my ummah will be between 60 and 70 but that doesn't mean that there won't be people going before that how many go before that how many go in their 10 before they've even reached 10 how many gone are gone before they've reached 20 and in between so there is no guarantee that we will see 50 or 60 or even 30 or 20 allah taala knows best how much of life we have left but the purpose of this life is to make the akhirat this entire life is a test it is a challenge and the purpose of this test is to see who will pass and who will gain the everlasting bounties of the hereafter in jannat so this is a very small life very short life and this entire life is a test now you have all kinds of tests you have written tests you have practical tests 
Like for example, a person going for a driver's license. Now that's a practical test. Besides the theory, first he goes for the learners. Then there's a driver's license. Now during the driver's license test, that will now determine whether the person will be given his license or not. Whether he will pass. So that is a practical test which the person now needs to conduct himself very, very carefully during that test. Now can you imagine somebody is going for his driver's license test. The inspector is now watching every move and this person is... We've, can we imagine the scene? This person has got the window rolled down and he's shouting across the road to somebody, swearing them and uh, he's talking on his cell phone while he's going for his learner's, his driver's license test now. So suddenly there's a call or he wants to phone somebody, he pulls his cell phone out and he's talking away. So maybe he's not even talking anything wrong, he's not uh, swearing at anybody, but he's going on with this. What will be the end result of this action? So the end result will be that he would not pass the test. He would be f failed. And now he will want to know that, but uh, this got nothing to do with driving. Driving is how you can maneuver the car. You can take the turns correctly. You can do whatever is necessary. You can park correctly. So if I am talking to somebody, what difference does that make? I didn't mishandle the car in any way. So he will be told that your behavior is very risky to your own life and to others' lives on the road. Because you are driving on the one hand and you are looking out on the other end and you are talking on that side, you are talking on your phone, you are doing things which would put you at risk and others at risk. So therefore this is something that the law has disallowed. That a person now is driving and he is talking on his cell phone. Because this creates a lot of risk. So this is now something that is disallowed. But you are insisting on talking on your cell phone. So you are now forced to, we are forced to fail you. So now the person going for that license test, he knows up front this is the case. People may do it thereafter, but they know that this is going to cause them to fail the test. We have not heard that a person got failed because he was talking on his phone, because it doesn't happen. No person does such a silly thing. Such a foolish thing that he's going for his driver's test, he still can't leave his phone behind. Or he still can't avoid answering that call. Nobody does it. They know they're going to fail. So for that driver's license test, which is a small thing, comparatively very small thing. But the person knows that this will cause me to fail the test. So whatever will cause him to fail the test, he totally avoids it. Now there's something beyond his control. Now he tried to turn the vehicle in one direction and go turn in another direction and something happened. So that's how he made a mistake there beyond his control. But whatever is in his control, talking on the cell phone is in his control. He'll never answer that call. He'll switch it off completely at that time. He'll never dare making a call to somebody while driving that car. While talking to somebody out of the window is not something that's written in law that it is not permissible. He will not even look out at anybody on the side. That person on the side is waving at him, he'll ignore him. He's not interested. He has to pass this driver's license test. So now because of that, he is looking after his tongue. 
He's not talking anything out of turn. He's looking after his tongue. He's looking after his gaze also. He's keeping his eyes on the road. Because if he looks left and right, t- uh, that too he'll get marked down for. So now he wants to pass this driving test. So he's looking after his gaze. He's looking after his tongue. And he's conducting himself in a very, very controlled manner. He is being restricted from many things. He has an urgent call to make suddenly. He realized he, that something important was forgotten. But he is suppressing that. He is being tempted to look left and right, whatever is there on the sides. But he is restricting that. He is restraining himself from that. So he is bearing all these restrictions for what? For that one paper, for that license that will be given to him, which will now make it okay for him to be driving around on the roads. For that he will now undertake all this restriction. So likewise, this dunya is a test. And it's a practical test. And now in this practical test, and this theory also, meaning we have to have our aqaid correct, there's all that as well, there's belief, there's faith. But there's a lot of practice also. And we are being tested all the time. And one of the things that we are tested in most, among other things, one of the things that we are tested in the most is our tongue. How do we use our tongue? We are being tested by means of our heart, we are being tested by means of our eyes, by our hands, by our feet, by everything. And that is why we will be asked about all this on the day of Qiyamah. In the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala highlights this to us. In Verily, the hearing, the sight, the heart, everything you will be questioned about on the day of Qiyamah. And specifically, these two things are mentioned together with the heart, because the heart is king. And the tongue, and the, the sight, and the hearing, these things affect the heart directly. person sees something, now the heart starts working towards that, because the heart has taken that in, the heart, the eye saw something and the heart got attracted. Now the heart got attracted, the heart starts working. Now because the heart starts working and the heart is king, the heart is giving the hands instructions, you reach out to that phone and now make that call. Or the heart is giving instructions to the feet, you walk in the direction of that person. The heart is giving instruction to the other limbs and organs to all now start moving in a certain way. But the person heard the voice of somebody. And that is why I must not just listen to anything. People say there's nasheeds and all these things are all fine now. It's not. But many a time the people are getting caught in haram by listening to some nasheeds. The person that is singing the nasheed is some so-called singer. One is that ash'ar, those ash'ar that are rendered by the ahlullah, rendered in a... With the, with the feeling of the heart, with the heart that is brimming with the love of Allah Ta'ala, with the heart that is filled with the consciousness of Allah Ta'ala, that has a different effect. And the purpose of those ash'ar is to kindle the love of Allah Ta'ala in the heart, to kindle the love of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to enhance the love of Allah and His Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then the other thing is these nasheeds that have become entertainment. And many people, young people, are becoming involved in haram as a result of these nasheeds. 
these are the facts of life. People communicate these issues. That I am listening, I listen to these things often, and this is what it brings in my heart. These are the effects that it has on me. So, this is something that we have to be very careful about. Everything is not, well, what's wrong with it? That has become the standard phrase. What's wrong? Because we don't see the wrong. And then because we cannot see the wrong, then somebody who has that insight, that foresight, that knowledge, that taqwa to be able to discern what's going on, Allah Ta'ala says those who possess taqwa, that deep consciousness of Allah Ta'ala, that fear of Allah Ta'ala, and they're conducting themselves with taqwa, then Allah Ta'ala creates this criterion within them. They can distinguish between right and wrong, between haq and batil. The general person often cannot see anything wrong in it. But this person who Allah Ta'ala has enlightened his heart with taqwa, he on the first glance sees the wrong. Even in the correct statements of the people of batil, he can pick up something is, behind this there's an agenda. Behind this correct statements there's an agenda. There's something coming behind this. Person now what he's talking is all fine. Later on something else is coming. Maududi was a person in India. We are digressing a bit from the topic. The purpose is to understand some realities. Maududi was a person in India who was a very prolific writer. Excellent writer. And he swayed thousands of people with his writings. At the initial stages, what he was writing, there was nothing anybody could actually pinpoint with it that there's something wrong in it. And many or some rather, senior ulama of the time, they became very impressed with him, and they actually joined his organization, and joined him in his efforts. And yet there were some akabir of the time, like Hazrat Shaykh al-Hadith Ma'a Zakariya sahab rahmatullah alayhi, Hazrat Ma'a Madni sahab rahmatullah alayhi, Hazrat Raipuri rahmatullah alayhi, right from the beginning, before this person's reality became exposed, they already started warning people that, look, something is seriously wrong here. But many couldn't understand that. What is wrong with it? Nothing is wrong. Look at the writing. Subhanallah. And many young people are actually changing their mindset, their lives, in some way or the other, meaning on a positive change, because of this person's writings. So what's wrong with it? Why, why are every, every simple, every, every single thing, you just want to make some issue with it? And these Malvi's got no other job but to keep finding something in everything. But these Akabir were clear about what they were saying. They were not mincing their words. But later as time went, what these people were warning about, everybody then realized, there's the dangers now. This, And some of the senior ulama of the time who had affiliated themselves, they had to now disassociate themselves and publish open uh, writing, they had to write openly and publish that they have now retracted and they have disassociated themselves with Maududi. All this was later when now the reality exposed itself very, very openly. But many Akabir saw it before that those issues became exposed. So the lesson in this is, we shouldn't just jump to conclusions and say, what is wrong? What's the problem with this? We should listen to those who Allah Ta'ala has blessed with that insight, with that foresight, with that taqwa, with the deep knowledge 
And we should submit to that. We should ask them. We should not be telling them. We should not be forcing down our opinion on them and insisting that they must now find some way to say that it's right now. We should be asking with a sincere heart and with an open heart to accept what is the truth and to ask those who we see that level of taqwa and consciousness of Allah Ta'ala and those who are on the path of caution because this is deen this affects our iman if a person wants to go around fatwa shopping then he'll find anything because mufti google is available also and you'll find a fatwa for anything but what is the reality of those fatwas many of them that's a different story altogether so in any case we digressed a bit what we were saying is that we are in this world which is a test and we are being tested all the time and one of the biggest tests is the test of our tongue what are we saying now we understand that committing certain haram deeds this is very very severe for example a person Allah forbid Allah forbid gets involved in in haram, in zina. What a terrible thing this is. And Allah forbid somebody fell into this kind of sin and it became exposed. That person also hides his face in shame and the public also looks at that in a very, very different way. How could this person do something? Unless if obviously that person also is shameless, completely like an animal. And if others out there also, there are some who have lost their shame completely, then neither will this person bother that he got exposed, and nor will others who are also completely shameless feel anything about it. Because that's animal behavior. Animals don't think anything about it. So we're not talking about that type of person. We're talking of somebody who's got a little bit sharam also, a little bit haya. Even little birds, somebody who's got lot, they wouldn't even fall in such a kind of problem. Unless a total, some disaster happened in a moment. But otherwise, that sharam and haya, that modesty and shame, that itself will be such a big barrier that a person won't get close to any haram of this nature. But perchance, Allah forbid, perchance a person fell in it and that person has got even a few percent one or two percent amount of shame left then that person too will hide his face in shame and people around also who got one or two percent of shame one or two percent of haya they too would regard this as a disgusting thing So that is one aspect which is terrible, which is disgusting, which is a terrible, terrible thing. And therefore, Nabi Wasallam he asks for guarantee in this regard, that if somebody guarantees that they will not get involved in this kind of sin, that they will maintain their chastity, that's one guarantee Nabi Wasallam is asking for. Actually, in return, Nabi Wasallam is guaranteeing Jannat, Saying, I'm, I'm prepared to guarantee Jannat. But you give me two guarantees. 
If you give me two guarantees, I am giving you any mu'min. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is talking to a mu'min. Now obviously he's talking to a mu'min. So the mu'min knows that what is farz is farz. There's no compromise on farz. But now there are two things in particular Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is saying, you give me guarantee of these two things. One is protecting the chastity. Protecting one's purity. Not getting involved in any degree, in any level of haram that will affect this chastity. So what is Nabi Islam saying? That the person who gives me guarantee of the person's chastity. And the second thing, now imagine now two guarantees are only being asked for. And on the other end, Nabi Islam is guaranteeing Jannat. Now the one thing that is being asked for is this. What a major thing, severe thing. We all understand the severity. So now the other one guarantee also will be something obviously of a similar nature. Something very severe. Something very, very grave. Because this is a very grave thing. Very severe thing. So, what will be the other guarantee? Just two guarantees are required. One is guaranteeing one's chastity. And one more guarantee and the other side is Jannat. So, subhanallah. What will be the other thing? Nabi Islam is saying, Ma bayna lahyayi. You guarantee to me that you will not misuse your tongue. Now imagine two guarantees only are being asked for. One is the protection of the chastity. And the other guarantee now, other guarantee is looking after the tongue. Subhanallah. What we understand from this, from this association, these two things are going hand in hand. Guarantee about the chastity, guarantee about the protection of the tongue we can understand how grave and how severe is the issue of the tongue and how fundamentally important it is to look after this tongue. We take it for granted. We say what we want to say. We say how we want to say it. We speak about anybody. We speak about anything. We make ghibat like it is out of fashion. Like it's going out of fashion so we quickly have to now make the best use of it. Whereas ghibat, now we just understood what are the two things that were mentioned, the two guarantees. One is looking after the chastity, the other is looking after the tongue. And now among the problems of the tongue, the sins of the tongue is ghibat. And Nabi Islam is saying, al-ghibatu ashaddu zina Ghibat is worse than zina. And we just discussed now that a person has got 1% shame. 1%. Let alone those who got 50% shame. And we can't even imagine about those who have got 90% shame and 100% shame. person who has got 1% shame also, and Allah forbid if he gets caught up in this vile deed, in this disgusting act, and he got exposed, he would not have the face to come out in public. He would be totally ashamed with 1% shame. He's got 10% shame, we can't Im- How, what, what will be the case? And he's got 50% shame, then what? He's got 1% shame. In other words, a person who then feels nothing about it, even he got exposed to, then there's no degree of shame left. Then it's shameless. That person and a shameless donkey, shameless dog out on the street, all same, one and the same in this regard, in regard to shamelessness. In regard to shamelessness, in other degrees, there will be differences, 
In other aspects there will be differences. But in regard to shamelessness, then this person and a dog on the street, equal. But a person, one person shame also, will be drowning in perspiration now. How am going to come out in public? And here Nabi Salaam is saying, Al-Ghibatu Ashaddu Minazzina. Ghibat is worse than zina. And people go on making ghibat and they don't think anything about it. They don't have any conscience about it. That what have I said? I'm speaking ill of somebody else. Nabi Sallallahu asked the Sahaba, Atadrunam al ghiba What is ghibat you know? They say no. Nabi Sallallahu said, Zikruka akhaka bima yakra. Or somebody asked Nabi Sallallahu rather, that what is ghibat? So Nabi Sallallahu replied and said, that Zikruka akhaka bima yakra. That speaking about your fellow Muslim, something that he will dislike. She is like this, or she did that, or she was dressing like this, or she was looking like that, or she was speaking like this, and all kinds of stories. And that, what we are speaking about, somebody else, is what that person will dislike. So this became ribat. Somebody inquired further and they did us a great favor that they clarified this for us. May Allah Ta'ala give the Sahaba Ikram the greatest stages in the Akhirat that they didn't leave this door open for us. Otherwise we would have just gone wholesale. With this door closed, we are still going wholesale into ghibat. Somebody inquired from Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what if what I am speaking about is true? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi replied and said, that if what you are speaking about is true, then it is ghibat. And it is worse than zina. And it is something for which you will lose all your good deeds and it will be gone to the next person. And if you don't have enough good deeds, that person's sins will come on your head. What a silly and foolish act that a person is doing something, he dislikes somebody, that is why he's talking ill of them, and in the process he's passing on all his good deeds away to that person. That is why Imam Abu Hanifa, once somebody told him that so-and-so made ghibat of you, he spoke ill of you. So Imam Sahib went, you know, he, they, they, some, the message came that this is what somebody said about you. So it was ghibat. And it might have been even worse than ghibat, it might have been bohtan. Any case, Imam Abu Hanifa then went along the next day or whenever with one gift for the person. That person asked that what is this for? So this was actually a very subtle way of giving the person a lesson that look, this is not something that you should engage in. So Imam Sahib said to him, that you do me favors by giving me your good deeds. You give me your sawab, your reward. I can't part with my reward in return. With my sawab, I can't part with that in return. I need that. So you are giving me such a big thing, reward, sawab. I thought at least in return, let me give you something, though it's a very small thing, it's some material thing. But at least now I got to return your gift with something. You gave me such a big gift, I got to give something in return. So this is the reality of ghibat that we are committing something that is worse than zina also. And then in return, we are, and in, in the means of that ghibat, we are giving away our good deeds to others. And we are engulfing our hearts in darkness. Because every guna, every sin creates darkness in the heart. Ghibat is such a major sin. So this will, how much of zulmat and how much of darkness this will create. And now when the darkness is in the heart, then the person is not inclined to light. 
when there's darkness, now the person doesn't feel comfortable in light. Like a person is in a dark room, and now somebody switches on the light, he feels uncomfortable, he's closing his eyes. Why? Because he was in darkness all this time. So now he can't bear the light. Now you have to slowly, gradually bring the light. And then he'll get used to it, and then he might open his eyes. So now this person also, because of that excessive darkness in the heart, now when some nasihat is being given, person is just aloof. Person is now feeling uncomfortable. Oh, here it goes again now. This, now this person wants to talk about some hadith sharif, and this person is talking about some akabir's waqiyas and incidents of the pious people. This is all boring for me. Because now it's in the darkness, the light person is feeling uncomfortable. So the lesson is that we have to bring light into our hearts. And one of the very important things is that we avoid bringing darknesses. And the one major darkness that comes is as a result of ghibat. And this is an act worse than zina. And people think nothing about it. And they just go on making ghibat. So we have to now become very conscious about it. Very conscious ourselves. What, what benefit does it bring to us to talk about others? If you've got nothing good to say about somebody, then don't talk about the person. It's generally a very insecure person who keeps finding faults with others. This is a sign of personal insecurity. And he talks about the weaknesses of others. The sign of a very shallow personality. And an insecure person. So now the person is trying to make myself, I'm trying to make myself look like, okay, I am something also because that person is nothing. That person got all these faults. So if you see faults in me, then uh, I'm not bad because that person got faults also. So this is actually a person that is insecure. Now that person is now, he doesn't even realize it, but he is showing off his insecurity. And a person who has things to hide, person who's got skeletons in the cupboard, now he's diverting attention to others. They don't look at me now, you rather look that side. You see that person got all these faults, look at that person faults. Don't worry about me. So we try to make ourselves look better by talking about the ills of others. Talking about the weaknesses of others. The mistakes of others. So that diver the attention gets diverted from ourselves. That is a very shallow personality. That is a very shallow thinking. So we have to grow from this. We meaning all in general, everybody, myself, all of us. This is a common ailment across the society. We have to grow out of this. We have to sincerely make toba from ghibat. We have to understand what a terrible thing this is. We discussed previously that in the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala gives a very, very, uh, an example, a parable, to highlight the evil of ghibat, which is a parable that actually makes one feel nauseous. The purpose of such an example is to make us realize that the sin of ghibat is something that should make a person nauseous. It's a nauseating illness. It's a nauseating habit. Like imagine somebody while you are eating, somebody is sitting in front of you and they are picking their nose. You are already feeling uncomfortable hearing about the example. Now just imagine this. You are sitting there eating. 
normally when a person is eating, that is a thing, that is a time when if somebody does something which is nauseating, then it feels even more worse. It feels even more disgusting. Even nauseating talk is not tolerable at that time. Now you are sitting there, somebody is sitting right across you. And I'm, I'm emphasizing it to let us understand what is the issue of ribat. Now the person is sitting there and picking their nose. Diamond mining. So now, imagine that scene now. How, how comfortable you will feel continuing to eat there. A person who has a little bit of a delicate temperament won't be able to continue eating. And imagine if that person now, together with picking their nose, suddenly they even brought up, they spewed. Right there, where you are eating. Can you continue eating? Allah Ta'ala is saying, that making ghibad, forget you sitting across somebody who is picking their nose. Forget somebody, you sitting across somebody who has just spewed, and now you want to carry on eating. Can't imagine it. Ghibad is worse than that. Ghibad is that there is a dead body. There is a corpse. And now the corpse has started decaying. Rigor mortis they call it. It starts decaying now because life has gone. And it's smelling, stench. There's already worms coming out of the body. And it's disfigured, it's blown. Maybe parts of it, there's already pus and blood oozing out from wherever. And now imagine somebody comes and he starts eating out of this body. Imagine that scene. You can't even imagine it. You can't even imagine it. Just merely thinking about it sends a, sends a shiver down the spine. Allah Ta'ala is saying that making ghibat is like this. Making ghibat is like eating the flesh of a dead person. So now when a person makes ghibat of somebody, it is as if that person has passed away and that person's body now has started decaying and it's smelling and all the scene that we described is the case with all this pus and blood everything all over the place and now you are still going to eat from that body this is what a person is doing then when he's making ghibat so if he cannot tolerate even thinking about that how can we tolerate making ghibat of others this is something we have to surround and ponder over. These discussions we have, the aspects that we think we discuss, by merely listening to it once, will not be enough. By talking about it once, will not be enough. To bring this into our lives, to make us translate it into practice, merely talking about it once, listening to it once, twice, once in a while, that itself is not sufficient. Now what has been discussed, we have to sit down and ponder over it. Think about it. Think about the lessons that we spoke about. The test that we are in, this life is a test all the time, to keep pondering over that. And then, the restrictions that a person is ready to undertake to, in order to pass the test. This is a test of life, this practical test. And the Beast is asking for two guarantees only. 
and on the other side he is guaranteeing Jannat. One is the guarantee of chastity. And if a person makes sincere toba from something, that person is also all now counted as chaste. Provided you don't go back to the sin. So one is the guarantee of chastity. And together with that, the guarantee of not misusing the tongue. The guarantee that the tongue will be used correctly only. It won't lie. It won't make ghibat. It won't talk all kinds of immoral things. All kinds of haram won't get into involved in haram conversations and chats and all these kind of things then Nabi Islam is promising Jannah is guaranteeing Jannah and one of the worst things that this tongue gets involved in is ghibat and ghibat is like going to eat out of the dead body that has started to decay so we have to make sincere tawbah now we must sit and think about this together with having heard about it read about it maybe spoken about it to sit down a few minutes morning, afternoon, maybe once a day, twice a day, one or two minutes, three minutes, and sit and ponder over this whole thing. Let it sink into our hearts. What is the reality of this? Yesterday, what I spoke, how many people I spoke about, how many people I made ghibat about, and I was actually like eating that person's dead flesh from a decayed body, astaghfirullah, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. So, to sit and ponder about this, how can I now avoid this? I'm going to keep control of my tongue. Somebody else starts making any ribad, I'm going to immediately advise them nicely. Look, talk about my ills rather. I'm worse. Why talk about somebody else? I will not make any ribad, I will not listen to any ribad. And if I cannot stop the person, I will nicely wake up and move away from there. So, this is the thing that is necessary, that we ponder over this repeatedly. And inshallah the mu'allimahs will keep reminding us, and give us some time as well some, to sit down and ponder over this, to digest it, let it go deep down in our hearts. That we have to now become very conscious that we do not darken our hearts, drown our hearts in darkness and zulmat as a result of ghibad, and soil our whole selves with this ghibad, and destroy our a'mal, give our rewards and sawabs to others, take their sins on our head as a result of the sin of ghibad. From now on we are not going to get involved in all this. And we will remain on the straight path, keep control of our tongue, and speak only that which Allah Ta'ala is pleased with. Allah Ta'ala says, Say to my servant that they must speak that which is the best. Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk anta kama athnayta ala nafsik. جزا الله عنا نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله ربنا غلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وأصحابه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين